Blog Talk Radio. You know, every time I speak, I want the truth to come out. You know what I'm saying? Every time I speak, I want to shiver. You know, I don't want them to be like, they know what I'm going to say because it's polite. They know what I'm going to say. And even if I get in trouble, you know what I'm saying? That Ain't that what we're supposed to do? It's, I'm not saying I'm going to rule the world or I'm going to change the world, but I guarantee that I will spark the, the, the brain that will change the world. Anybody know who Willie Lynch was? Anybody? Raise your hand. He was a vicious slave owner in the West Indies. The slave masters in the colony of Virginia were having trouble controlling their slaves, so they sent for Mr. Lynch to teach them his methods. Keep the slave physically strong, but psychologically weak and dependent on the slave master. Keep the body, take the mind. I and every other professor on this campus are here to help you to find, take back, and keep your righteous mind. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Soul Squad, and welcome to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. We are the return of Intelligent Radio as we ensure the free flow of opinion and put the envelope on the questions America's afraid to ask in the mainstream media Good morning, Soul Scribe. Thank you, Queen. She's your first time being a guest co-host. So if you will, say hello to the truth seekers out there. We have on a special guest on with us as well this morning, Dr. Valeria Stewart. But if you will, Queen, we'll start with you. Say hello to the truth seekers, and thank you again for being with us. Oh, no problem. Hey, good morning, everyone. It's uh, definitely an honor. I am enjoy listening to the show. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, glad to have you. We may have a bad connection, so if you will, uh, when I'm introducing Dr. Stewart, if you will, call right back in, so subscribe if you will, and make sure we get a better connection with you. Dr. Stewart, are you there, King? I am here. Yeah. Good morning. Good morning. Yep, absolutely. If you will, King, thanks for being with us. You are our special guest for this morning's discussion. Are HBCUs still necessary? If you will, King, uh, introduce yourself, give a little bit of your background, and say hello to the truth seekers waiting to get into this morning's discussion question. Uh, good morning, uh, Montoya. Good morning, two speakers. It is indeed an honor and a pleasure to be with you guys this morning, especially to talk about something so critical. I'll start off my introduction by saying I am all that I am because of what, of what the HBCU is. Uh, I'm a proud uh, uh, three-time graduate of Southern University and Indian College, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm a proud uh, terminal degree holder uh, from uh, V. Jackson State University, and V is spelled T-H-E-E, by the way. And uh, I also have experience uh, at, uh, at a PWI. I'm a graduate of a PWI, and I've also been a faculty member at a PWI and at, um, and at uh, several HBCUs. So thanks for having me. Uh, you have an extensive background in three, three degrees. So that does that. Are you doctor, doctor, doctor? That's what you do. Um, <laughs> hey, hey, no, and that's a pretty extensive background. And again, thank you for being with us uh, this morning, King. And so, um, trying to see if I can get my co-host back on again. I just had a bad connection with her, and if I can't hear, it, that means the callers can't hear. So hopefully, she'll call back in here pretty soon. Um, so I like to typically. You know, we're gentlemen on this show, so we typically start ladies first, but until she gets back on, um, I guess uh, where I'll start, it's pretty simple, and it's just kind of your initial thought 
when when you heard the discussion question, are HBCUs still necessary? And I'm pretty sure, you know, we got two hours to go into it. So this is just kind of your initial thought to hearing that question, just kind of what crossed your mind, um, if you will, uh, Dr. Stewart. Just Like I say, just a quick thought. And I do have a soul question, so we'll go to her after you. Go ahead, Ken. All right, good. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, you know, uh, the thing that came to mind first <clears throat> when I uh, when I saw the question was, why are we still having this discussion in 2019? Um, <clears throat> you know, we uh, HBCUs have long uh, stood the test of time. Uh, HBCUs have uh, produced uh, great scholars, uh, great athletes, uh, great uh, judges, great engineers, great lawyers, great teachers, um, <clears throat> and my big concern is we're still having a relevance conversation in 2019, long after uh, HBCUs uh, have proven uh, to be a major contributor to society and, and make it a meaningful impact. Again, I started off by saying uh, I'm all that I am because of what, what the HBCU is. Uh, I would not be a college-educated African-American man today had it not been for the HBCU. Uh, so no, I am – uh, uh, so I'm a big a big proponent, uh, and uh, I, I'm I'm actually a little uh, a little angry that that we are still having to defend uh, the uh, uh, constitutional justification and the viability of uh, of, of the HBCU. No, fair enough. Uh, we we welcome that passion. I got Soul Squad back on Queen. So. As I was telling Dr. Stewart, we typically let ladies first, but we had to get you back on, so let's see if we got a better connection. If you will, Queen, I just want your honest and initial thoughts. You know, you and I haven't talked about this as well, so just your initial thoughts to this morning's discussion question, what crossed your mind, and thanks for being with me again, Queen. Oh, no problem. Um, can you hear me clearly? Yes, you're coming through. Yeah, you're coming through very clear now. We're good with you. Yeah, we're very good now. Okay. Ahead, Awesome, awesome. So I would say uh, when I first heard the question and you proposed it, it's at my age now and that I look back and I, I understand the importance of our culture and, and uh, getting to know who you are and identification, I definitely say that HBCUs are still necessary. Um, it was an incredible time for me uh, when I was younger, you know, being around my people, seeing us come together in a different environment and it had a strong effect on, you know, who I am today. Um, even though I transferred to a PWI, I still love the fact that I was able to experience that and experience my own people um, so that there was somewhat of a balance for me um, by having both experiences. But um, the culture, there's nothing like it. The, the energy, the spirit of our people is so strong and has it definitely helps you to know who you are, you know, for instance, when children, you know, are growing up, you know, sharing with them where they come from and letting them be around their own people if they're not around them. Um, it just, it, it, it helps to know who you are and where you come from. So, yeah. Uh, thank you for those thoughts. Uh, what I'll say before we go to our initial break is um, I'm not surprised by your initial thought, Dr. Stewart, if I could say that to you. And, and obviously being a graduate of HBCU, it absolutely makes sense that that would be the response. I'll say, and we'll go a lot of places with this conversation, um, as you say, in a sense, we're still having an, an I'll, I'll even say this, an unfortunate relevant conversation because a part of this relevant conversation is 
the finances, and you know, for some of our schools struggling in a sense to stay afloat, and so that becomes an aspect of you know of it as well, right? You also have the outside looking in, which we won't go too deep. We we have conversations about us, but there's also the outside looking in, people who still fail to understand, uh, in a sense, why they are necessary in a quote unquote integrated society, which ended up creating some of the in my opinion, some of the financial issues that maybe we're seeing now. But, again, we can get more into that after the break. And so so there ends up being some relevancy, relevancy just from even some of the schools being able to stay afloat, either whether it's from a financial standpoint. We've even heard, you know, in a sense, some issues with accreditation from here, here you know, here and there from a few of some of the historically um, black colleges and universities. So, so it ends up being relevant, whether in a sense, whether we like it or not, what I will agree, what I definitely would, would agree with you is, the track record is a proven one, and and, and proven one to the extent that we've even um, we, we consistently get, and we'll hear we'll talk about this as well. We consistently get executive orders from each and every president, you know, since speaking to that importance, um, you know, now actually getting the money is kind of another story. Maybe we'll get into some of that as well, um, but at the same time. You know, as we get these executive orders from each and every president, since Carter, from what I understand, uh, that is the government saying, "Hey, we see the importance of this as well." And from time to time, even we've had a, you know, like we lost maybe up to five of our HBCUs, some to merger, some to closing, and that's just a few out of over a hundred HBCUs that exist. So that's just some backdrop as we go into this initial break. Um, if both of you will, we'll go to a commercial break and come out of the break. You will hear a cut that kind of kicks off this morning's discussion. So we'll get this thing started in the next segment. We'll open up the phone lines for our listeners out there as well. But I am absolutely glad to have both of you, uh, you know, right place, right time to have this, uh, and I'll keep saying this, unfortunate, relevant conversation. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. All I ask is that you think. Hey, where did you get that hat and t-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at moneymotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most, it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made zero dollars an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go. And everywhere I be, be. I don't even talk. HBCUs were established after the Civil War to provide higher learning for black citizens who were deliberately shut out of most universities. Today, there are 100 HBCUs. Nearly 300,000 students are enrolled in them. 
Every president since Jimmy Carter has issued executive orders on HBCUs. During President Obama's tenure, he expanded Pell Grants for schools overall, but initially approved tighter loan conditions for black colleges and never held meetings with the group. It was often a rocky relationship. A number of HBCUs still are in financial distress. Johnny Taylor, president and CEO of Thurgood Marshall College Fund, which helps fund HBCUs, says the schools need more money collectively. We should be very clear that we want this administration and the 115th Congress to make good on the money. You cannot have mission without money. Welcome back to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Soul Scribe, our special guest this morning. Well, this morning's discussion question on HBCU still necessary is Dr. Larry Stewart, an alumni, a proud alumni of Southern University. Uh, thank you, Kim, again for being with us. Thank you, Soul Scribe, as well, guest co-hosting with me this morning. And we just heard just a, a little initial cut uh, talking about, in a sense, some of the issues and rele- relevance to, in a sense, how the government, uh, um, each administration kind of, takes on the task of ensuring that our HBCUs are, in a sense, funded, um, in a sense, for publicly to a certain extent. Uh, one other thing I'll say, and Dr. Stewart, I want to hear your thoughts. Um, you're absolutely right in the historical standpoint of our HBCUs having, proved, having proven themselves, and the reality is they're still proving themselves from this standpoint. And this is just you know, a little minor point, and I'll let you jump in. Um, but, you know, even to this day, um, I promoted the show showing the chart that sh- unfortunately shows a decrease in the number of African-Americans who actually attend HBCUs compared to the past. So even the attendance and those choosing HBCUs is part of the issue as well. Uh, But even with that lowering number, the reality is uh, our HBCUs provide the African-American community with 70% of its doctors and and dentists, um, 50% of black engineers and public school teachers, and 35% of our lawyers. So even with those, in a sense, I don't know if you want to use the word dwindling, but decreasing numbers, uh, we're still getting a majority of our community's professionals from our HBCUs. And one highlight is the, the last, latest information I looked at is we did see an increase in the last year throughout HBCUs as far as attendance one of the first upticks in maybe the last decade from what I understand, you know, through my research. But if you will, Dr. Stewart, just kind of any thoughts on the cut or anything that I had to say, but thank you, King, for being with us. I'm glad you started there, actually. Uh, it's funny, I was just in the barbershop. Uh, that's where all black men conversation, intellectual conversation happens. Happens to happen at the barbershop. Uh, uh, and uh, I uh, actually go to a barbershop where um, uh, this black-owned and um, – and the owner actually played football at Southern University. So we were actually engaging in conversation. I started Southern in, in, in the summer of 1990. We had about 10,000 students strong on the Baton Rouge campus alone. Uh, as we know, Southern University is the only uh, system of HBCUs in the country. Unfortunately, today, there are less than 10,000 students in the entire system. Uh, I have a major problem with uh, the work that alumni are doing to uh, – to continue the legacy of our HBCUs. Uh, HBCUs. One, uh, it starts with, do I send my child to uh, the HBCU? Uh, uh, do I send my, my nieces and my nephews, my cousins, my friends, my neighbors, my church members uh, to HBCUs? Unfortunately not. We have um, uh, uh, gotten uh, to, a, uh, to a place 
where we think that uh, 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 it's, it's better that I I not go. I, I've heard people tell me, you didn't get a good education. All you all did was party. Well, I will stand against anybody. Uh, uh, give, give me the Ivy League. Give me the top PWI in my state, in, in the nation, and I will stand against them and, and show them that I know just as much as they, if not more, uh, about my content. Um, I did have the pleasure of doing a post, uh, doing postdoctoral studies at Yale through the National Dyslexia Center. Uh, and uh, I had no problems articulating that I was a, a proud mm-hmm. graduate of an HBCU. Uh, I worked. Uh, I had the, the pleasure of working for uh, U.S. Congressman Elijah Cummings as his press secretary uh, in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, I sat <clears throat> with other uh, press secretaries who trained at uh, majority institutions, who trained at, at Ivy League institutions, and there was never a question that Delarius Stewart was not competent in his area. Uh, I got good good training uh, there at the HBCU. So uh, actually, I think we need to stop the foolishness with uh, with communicating that uh, we get subpar education at HBCU. Uh, that needs to be number one. We've more than proven, as I started uh, the conversation, that we are uh, as good as or better than most. Uh, the other thing I'll say is, we need to encourage our children and our children's children to attend HBCU. Uh, just uh, two days ago, Thursday night, I had the uh, high pleasure of uh, going to uh, my nephew's uh, high school graduation. Uh, my nephew uh, uh, was, uh, was destined for doom in second grade. They counted him out. <clears throat> they tried to fail him in second grade, uh, and because he did not benchmark on Dibble is what uh, is what we were told. Uh, I fought mm-hmm. it. Uh, I fought from second grade through twelfth grade for my nephew to graduate <laughs> with a three point six grade point average and a and a twenty three on, wow. on the on the ACT. And guess what? He's going to Southern University because he he can Love probably it. articulate. I want to become a civil engineer, and I know I'll get it at, at Southern University. So uh, we need more people to to uh, encourage our our, our African American students to graduate. Uh, uh, from high school and going to an HBCU. It doesn't have to be Southern. It doesn't have to be Grambling. It doesn't have to be Dillard, Xavier, but an HBCU. And those were all in uh, Louisiana. Just, uh, it, it was a quick shout-out to Louisiana. <laughs> but uh, hey, Come but, on, Dr. Stewart. Uh, you know you want all of them to go to Southern. <laughs> Don't even trip. <laughs> well, I, I want but to now, let me – You said it. Uh, you said it. <laughs> you trying to be politically correct. <laughs> Before the show, we don't do political correctness. So you need them all to go to Southern. No, nah, let me let me stop. But on a serious note, no. Nah, but on a serious note, um, when you when you say I'm tired of this question, well, the thing that you just bring to point the relevancy comes in a sense of how our own community sees these our, our HBCUs when we see those numbers tracking down typically over the last 20, 30 years. Uh, um, and I'll you know just say the you know, the numbers I found. I mean, you know, in the seventies, about twenty percent, close to twenty percent of our um, African American college students were going to HBCUs. Now that number is under nine percent, from what I recently found. Um, so, so the the conversation ends up being relevant even from my own from my own community standpoint. Uh, so, scribe any thoughts for what Dr. Stewart had to say, or you know, what about the perspective of how we see our HBCUs even within our own community, less much outside of our community? Oh, wow. So what I will say is um, I went to Alabama State University. Um, I, 
in 96, and then I was there for two years, and then I met some some uh, friends who were going to Auburn University in Montgomery across the way, and I saw the difference when you speak of financially and the way that they were living versus the way that I was living, and, you know, you think about, and of course, the funding that wasn't there for HBCUs, and it was, it was so much more luxurious across town for, you know, a little bit more money, but um, that was part of the reason eventually that I left because I felt like at the HBCU, there just wasn't as many, you know, amenities, there wasn't, um, you know, the dorms, you know, were not being taken care mm-hmm. of, um, and it was just it was just a totally different experience going you know just right across town and and it's unfortunate and I think that as he was saying the conversation about the alumni not spreading the word or passing the torch uh, you know there's a there's a huge gap between the amount of communication and information that's shared with us when we're younger about HBCUs and the importance and the relevancy. The only reason I went to Alabama State University is because uh, a lot of people in my family, my uncles and aunts, had gone to Alabama State University. For me, it was kind of like, well, everybody else went. But no one really shared um, their story with me about, you know, HBCUs, the importance, the legacy. And so for me, eventually, I was like, well, what's, what's the point? You know, mm-hmm. where's, what's the substance of staying here if it's going to look like this? you know, and they're going to, you know, treat me differently. So, um, but I will say that we, we have a huge responsibility in educating our people and our children about HBCUs and the legacy and, and the history. So um, I, I totally agree with him on that. Um, but I won't say more educated. What I will say is when I went to Auburn, the teachers were a little bit more standoffish, and I had a couple classes that I had to take several times, and it was like, okay, I would go to their office, but there was like this brick wall with some of the teachers, the professors, of course, who were, you know, predominantly white, versus what happened was when I couldn't get the class completed, I said, well, I'm just going to transfer back to Alabama State and see if I can, you know, complete the class there. Well, what happened was it was easier for me to talk to my own people, and they wanted me to do well. They wanted me to graduate. And I'm not going to say that the teachers at Auburn didn't want me to, but what I will say is at graduation, one of the teachers stood up and said, we intentionally make it difficult because we don't want everyone to have a degree from here. Like, what? Wow. <laughs> Right. Wow! Wow! Yeah, that's definitely a tell a telltale sign, if I could say that. Now, when I listen to your story, uh, so Scribe, this is a, I've heard this your story before. Uh, I had a cousin who transferred, uh, maybe for some for some different reasons. Um, but when we start even talking about college education, and that's a big buzzword in today's time, just due to the expenses of college education specifically in the, in America compared to to maybe other places in the world. But if anybody's ever wondered in 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 general where does all that money go that these colleges collect not just HBCUs, HBCUs but all colleges cuz again, you know tuition goes up every year it seems like and books go up every year. Well, the majority of the money is actually spent in just any school is on infrastructure because in a sense, believe it or not, it is a huge attraction to a, a student making, you know, making a visit. And again, the bread and butter typically comes from students attending. Um, and, and I'm pretty sure Dr. Stewart can get into this. You know, with some of the larger colleges, they have these huge endowments that our HBCUs, and unfortunately, seem not, you know, don't have in a sense. Just, and that's usually just based on 
overall historical attendance and that, and that type of thing. But either way, um, things go into infrastructure. So I will say, listening to your story, Soulscribe, you're not the first person I've heard that, in a sense, took issues with maybe some of our HBCUs, in a sense, struggling just even from an infrastructure standpoint. I mean, as you hear this, Dr. Stewart, any thoughts from you? And, again, I'm not the first person I've heard say that. Myself, I wasn't fortunate enough to go to an um, HBCU, if I could say that. But go ahead, Ken. I can remember walking in um, into uh, uh, Jones Hall on June 6, 1990 uh, at Southern University. And, and, you know, I grew up with my grandmother. It was just uh, the two of us. Then my brother came. Uh, so I had all this space to myself. Um, and I'm walking into this room on June 6, 1990, and like, wow, it's small. Wow, it's dirty. But even with all of that, I'll still say that. All of the hassle was worth the task. Uh, so uh, we had, uh, they gave us less, we did more. Uh, they took away, uh, uh, we still uh, uh, prospered, we still were successful. I remember the conversation, and we had uh, Dr. Delores or Richard Spike as our president, and all of the students from, uh, from Southern University marched down to the uh, state capitol. That was about seven miles from the, uh, from the university. Uh, because the legislature uh, had the unmitigated temerity to have a conversation about merging Southern and LSU. Well, uh, mm-hmm. they still uh, they didn't merge a Southern LSU. We still hadn't merged. Southern still the system. But guess what? They put in other systems that still hurt HBCU. In Louisiana, uh, there are tiers to, uh, to colleges and universities that students can attend based on grade point average and ACT score. When I graduated okay. from high school, uh, you only needed an ACT uh, score to go to Southern. It didn't matter what it was. We had junior division that was there to build up the deficits of students who were not college ready. Uh, but now in Louisiana, <clears throat> there are tiers of colleges and universities, and, and unfortunately, at the national average, is uh, still low for African-American students with ACT. Uh, most of our students are having to go to, uh, to community college. They, they run off community college. Unfortunately, uh, Baton Rouge Community College was not in existence when I was a student at Southern University. It came about okay. in the late 1990s, early 2000s. Today, there are more than 10,000 students on that campus at Baton Rouge Community College. Well, the unfortunate mm. thing is they're not, uh, they're not leaving uh, there to transfer to Southern. They're going to LSU or they're going to Southeastern Louisiana University. Mm. Again, we're, we're leading them to believe that the education is subpar at Southern, mm-hmm. again, <clears throat> uh, get one of their professors, get their best professor in psychology or in education, and, uh, and let's uh, have uh, uh, some, some discourse, and, and let's see who's left standing. <laughs> and uh, it, becomes, uh, yeah, it may yeah. become obvious in that situation. Now, that makes sense. Let me say this, if you uh, will, um, Dr. Stewart. I'm going to get to one of our colleges as well, um, if I could just kind of jump in, you know, again, just kind of listening to you speak about it. And so um, – Something that you just spoke about, and this is something that a lot of our HBCUs have took on. So a lot of times people, even me, I'm a numbers person, so I like to look at numbers. And I even recall the the, the debate about the uh, merger. And reading, I forgot what I was doing at the time, but I ended up reading about it, and it was pretty telling to me. Um, but, so outside looking in, when you see the numbers, you, know, you might you – know, put a school up against a school, you might, as you say, see the average ACT score at this school versus this school, where the reality is a lot of our HBCUs have taken on that 
college ready approach. And so giving for historically giving children opportunities who would have never been able to, in a sense, transgress and get a college education, um, that's an opportunity. So when a school is willing to take on that, that 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 is one and an, an important role, I'll say that if I can say that, uh, but it also factors into sometimes maybe just, as you say, compare the education. If you're just looking at them from the outside looking in, you may say, well, hey, this school looks better than this school based on the numbers, not understanding the role and mission of, you know, one a Southern or another HBCU that's willing to take on students that maybe another college uh, wouldn't consider. Let's go to um, Brother Pianchi. He's on the line. For anybody else out there on the line, a number, Get in. That's on the line. Press one to let us know you want to speak. If you're online, the number to get in is six four six seven eight seven one six nine one. Brother Pianchi out of St. Louis, thanks for being with the King. Give us your three cents on this morning's discussion question. Well, you know, there's several things I like to discuss. What's your doctor's name? What's I got Dr. Stewart on. We got about a minute and a half before break, so I'm gonna have to keep you on after break. Just give you a heads up. Yeah, you will. But Dr. Stewart, one thing, you know, my grandson go to LSU, and he, he, we came out of St. Louis going How there. Pardon me. He's he's messing with you. He's, 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 just, he's just messing with you. Go ahead, King. Yeah, he's, and he chose this school for two things: baseball and the engineering program that they have there. But the thing is, we have to come to some terms is that these schools aren't doing as well as they should be. You only have about five or six that have a graduation rate above 50% in six years. In five, in six years, that means that the parents paying 50% more. But Montoya, you know, I've talked about this. And you never have heard me blame the, the students. It's not the students' fault. It's where they're coming from that's not preparing them. And we could talk about that all day long, but that is just a fact. Now, do we need these schools? I think we do. I think that we need schools, the HBCUs, that's more designed in the research, uh, more designed in the sciences. Uh, you have that one school, what is the Alcorn uh, State? Is that it? Somebody help me real quick. Mm-hmm. That's correct. That's correct. That's correct. Mm-hmm. That school is Alcorn excellent. That school is excellent in agriculture. Tuskegee, we know it's excellent. But right. you have a lot of them that's just not. And you know, another point. Uh, black students. Let's do this. Let's do this. Yeah, make this other point. Let me go. To, let me go to the break. Go ahead. You make go ahead. Come break. I'll come back. I'm, yeah, I'm gonna keep you on. Though. I'm gonna keep you on. So, okay. All right. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. We'll be right back. All I ask is that you think. Well, I came up with this idea. I said, okay. Well, how about since we can't get the NCAA to apologize, everybody. It wasn't the correct cut. Give me a second. <laughs> Here we go. Hero Golden Rudy. Black colleges were redefining what it meant to be black in America. You weren't doing something with your hands. You were pursuing a career where education and intellect mattered. These colleges not only gave black students an education, they provided sanctuary. It was a protective, insulated environment where they could talk. They could exchange ideas. They could be themselves. And at least for that time period, for those moments, they didn't have to deal squarely with segregation and inequality. The free intellectual space at HBCUs led to the bold strategies of the civil rights movement. 
Nearly every prominent black leader of the 20th century, from Thurgood Marshall to Martin Luther King, was educated at a black college. And black college students have always been out front, demanding equality now, not later. It was HBCU students who started the sit-ins. We felt it was incumbent upon us because we were young people, we were students, and we had a responsibility. We were going to be the future leaders. They were the backbone of Freedom Summer. We hope to send into Mississippi this summer upwards of 1,000 students who will engage in a program designed to open up Mississippi to the country. And they risked their lives in the fight for desegregation during the Freedom Rides. College students came down from Nashville with the avowed purpose of testing Birmingham's segregation laws. In contrast to their students, HBCU administrators, mindful of their school's dependence on government or rich benefactors, have usually adopted a more conservative stance. When the young activists thought their school presidents were in the way, the students took them on, too. The present administration are the children of last generation. We're the men and the women of this generation and the generations to come. Either they'll come with us or be left behind. Most likely they'll be left behind. HBCUs are still critical engines for black economic progress today, and they remain anchors of the ongoing movement for justice. But HBCUs are also facing an economic crisis. With small endowments, many of these institutions rely on federal funding to survive, which makes them vulnerable to the harsh currents of national politics. In dealing with the Trump administration, HBCU leaders are between a rock and a hard place, caught between a powerful but antagonistic president and a community that feels targeted by him. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. Special guest co-host, Soul Scribe, is on with us this morning. A special guest on the line is Dr. Delaria Stewart, an alumni of Southern University. This morning's discussion question, are HBCUs still necessary? You heard a lot in that cut. I got Brother Piyaki on the line with us currently. If you want to get in, you need to press one as well, Brother Piyaki, if you will. Um, and I'm going to make this simple. And... Yeah, I'm going to make oh, yeah, it real simple. Ahead, yeah, the Dr. Stewart. Dr. Stewart, I'm saying that the students, it's once they reach the college that, that freshman year and they are not able to maintain. It's not their fault. It's where they're coming from, and I'm sure you would agree. Secondly, I work with the National Society of Black Engineers. They set a goal to graduate 25,000 black STEM graduates every year. They had to draw that back down to 10,000, and that there is a reflection that the children are not prepared. We talk about the endowment, and this is going to be the last one. I think we have an over-representation of black college students that's in low-paying majors. And, you know, that kind of reflect on the, the hard work that's required when you go into those higher-paying majors. And one other thing real quick. I talked to three students that's in LSU, and I asked them about the athletes. My grandson said, Papa, them athletes are not taking no hard courses, and they get treated like kings. They don't even have to go to class. So uh, I don't know. I'm not sitting in the classroom. But can you reflect on those three things? Oh, fair uh, enough. Uh, so I'm Brother Jeff brings a lot to the uh, table. Go ahead, Dr. Stewart. 
I, I want to start by saying that I want HBCUs to continue to be those havens for the disadvantaged. I was a disadvantaged. Had there not been Southern University, there would not have been a Dr. Delaria Stewart. So, uh, so I don't ever want to uh, to be known for saying that I want anything to change. Um, it, yes, it does cost more uh, to educate someone who does not come prepared. Uh, I appreciate the fact that you're not blaming it on the kids, but guess what? If we don't prepare them for uh, for uh, to get them college or career ready, what we are preparing them for is a life of being on um, being on society, being uh, being um, having society being tasked to take care of them, or uh, or prison. So I would much rather make that extra two-year investment in them being contributing members of society. Uh, the second thing uh, that, that I want to take away, um, <clears throat> Booker T. Washington, Washington and W.B. Du Bois had a conversation, uh, more discourse back in the 1800s, uh, about the, that led to the whole talented tens, but uh, technical versus uh, academic education. Right. Um, we uh, have to uh, – uh, uh, I'm an educator. Let me, let me back up and go a different way. I'm an educator. <clears throat> Uh, around the country, uh, we're seeing uh, colleges and universities producing uh, fewer uh, educators. Education is a low-paying profession, but guess what? Someone has to do it. So I want students to find their passion and their love, and it does not matter how little or how much money you make. You can still find a way to give back uh, as, as much as you can to the HBCU. Uh, our HBCU, HBCU endowments need help. Uh, uh, I'm very happy to see uh, a great friend of mine, Dr. Fred Bonner, out of Prairie View, sits in, a, sits in an endowed chair. Well, we have other uh, other uh, HBCU uh, uh, alum who are in places that can actually uh, uh, endow a chair, give uh, $200,000 to a million dollars to a university. Thanks for uh, mentioning Alcorn. I'm a Falcon member of Alcorn, so very happy to hear. Uh, looking forward to a great future, Dr. Felicia Nave. Uh, is a uh, is a uh, engineer. She's a chemical engineer by training. Uh, alumni. She's an alum uh, alumnus uh, alumnae of Alcorn. Uh, graduated in chemistry. She's coming back to serve as president starting July first. So we are looking for uh, for uh, more focus on the STEM areas. Um, but uh, we have to. I, I don't tell students to major in something that's going to make you rich. I say major in something that you know you can do for the next 30 years that's going to make you happy. Uh, and uh, the so money let me, will let me, come. If I can jump in right there, Dr. Stewart, if I can jump in real quick right there, and I want to hear Sol's uh, thoughts on this as well. Um, I w I'm, and just to share this with you, um, and that's, you know, and we welcome all opinions. I, I Knowing that there is a huge lag in the ability for our entire country to fill the upcoming STEM positions that are happening in our country, hence why we have favorable immigration policies policies for those who have that type of background. Uh, when I see that type of existence, something that I've said on this show, and I just wanted to share it with you, you know, is the idea that as I have a friend uh, that I went to college with and found out about the, his history in in the country of India, there are families who look at our STEM positions in America as their NFL, as their NBA. So I would just mention to you that I would love to see our community 
guide and lead our some of our children to some ready-made positions. And again, that's not to turn every child into a STEM. That is not that is not your background and not your script. I'm not pushing people who should not be in the career field. But at the same time, I I do think there is a vital need for our communities. And it's not on the HBCUs, um, you know, in a sense on them alone, but for our community to consider having that type of focus because there's a lot of good that comes from those positions that are just going unfulfilled by Americans in general. I didn't mean to belabor that point that long, uh, but that's just something I kind of no, want to I throw agree, out, I agree you know, to you. I, Go ahead. I, I, absolutely agree. Mm-hmm. I, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, my brother uh, has a Ph.D. in a STEM area from Southern University, uh, so I totally agree. But, uh, and, of course, this is coming from bias, but we, uh, but before we get uh, a student who can um, can walk into a STEM profession, we need someone to teach that student. Uh, right now, you have universities graduating two and three students uh, in, in, uh, uh, to be teachers. You uh, be it STEM, be it uh, the arts. Uh, we uh, so we need to look holistically at at careers that um, that uh, that are uh, that are here. Uh, I look at uh, we still have a disproportionate number of African American uh, males being placed in the special ed, but we have very few um, uh, school psychologists who actually make those determinations. Black males right. make up uh, less than one percent, less than one percent of the national certified school psychologists in, in the country, and I'm, act, I'm actually one of the one of uh, the less than one percent. So wow. I, I, I'm troubled when we have conversation just to push STEM, 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 STEM. With no teacher, there is no sense. Uh, we need more math and science teachers. We we need uh, people to uh, to come out of retirement who worked in the STEM profession uh, and to become uh, uh, educators uh, of future STEM. Uh, but there are so many uh, professions we need, and I think we misguide our young people when we when we focus just on that versus focusing on ability, skills, uh, interests. And we dilute uh, professions that uh, that are actually they can make a, a livable wage. So uh, fair enough. So let me let me get I, I, let me get so subscribe three cents on this, Doctor Stewart, if you will. Uh, hey, I definitely don't want to leave the queen out of the conversation. Go ahead, Queen. What you got for us? I um I totally agree with you that we do need to push our children in different directions um, outside of just education. Um, yes, uh, do what makes you happy, but at the same time. You know, you need to be able to have some stability and to have an affordable living situation. So, but one of my things that I go back to is, are we passing the torch? Are we bridging that gap as alumni and uh, the elders? Are we going back into the communities and teaching these children and pushing them and being there? So the community has to come together and teach teach these children at a much younger age because I can honestly say that there wasn't anyone trying to really guide me because of my my circumstances were, you know, of course, I lived with my grandmother. She was tired. She was working all the time. You know, I was in church, and, you know, they would take me on school trips and take me to Magic City Classic and things like that, but the conversation piece is always missing, and I think when we we start pushing our children harder in math, you know, in engineering programs and things that they can they can really make a good living at as well as, you know, start preparing them, just start preparing them earlier because there was very little preparation for me. And so what I had heard was, of course, like at most people in our community, well, just, go, you know, be a teacher. It's easy to get a degree, you know, go to college. No one's 
really giving me any other options. The recruiters are coming to the school. They're just trying to get their numbers up. So they're like, well, just enroll in elementary education or something, you know, so you can get in. And, you know, I I think it goes further back than what we're really looking at. And I think we have to put together some community programs that that really uh, push the children you know, and, and, and teach them the importance of math. Like with my son, he's 10, you know, math and English, and we are on him, you know. And I want him to go to, you know, the math schools that they have around and, you know, just let him know that that's important. He's good at it, you know. Find what they're good at, but we don't have enough people taking time with these children at a much younger age, unfortunately, to, to find what they're good at and to hone in on that skill. So, yeah. No, nah, fair enough, nice Queen. And, and Dr. Stewart, we, yeah, we're about to, no, no, we're actually we're about to go over to Mr. Burt. We've got a caller. We'll get to you after the break. And Dr. Stewart, I agree with you with the, as you know, you agree with part of what I had to say, and I'll agree with you on the holistic approach. Uh, what I will, my slight challenge, and it's not for us to belabor this one point throughout the show, but my slight challenge to you is, you know, when I hear, and, and I say, unfortunately, when you're of that 1%, uh, I would just say that the push for STEM, when our numbers are as low as they are, they, it, 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 the push is extremely necessary. But of course, the execution will have to include the holistic stuff that you're talking about. But I don't, at this point, in my opinion, because the numbers are so low in a lot of these areas, the push for it, I, I don't think we should have a lot of pushback knowing that our numbers are so low in a lot of the STEM areas when it comes to our community, if I could say that. All right, we're up against the break. When we come back, we'll get to the caller. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Square Business Entertainment brings you their latest hit, I Really Want You, by Taylor Pace. Take a listen. If you're loving this as much as I am, be sure to go to their YouTube page and subscribe. Search for Square Business Entertainment. They are also rewarding their fans with a new release every 30 days. Here's another one by Taylor Pace. Love can't define this. Love can define this. Can capture all your sweetness and your kindness. Love can define it. We're crippled in love with only blind us. Well, love can define South Carolina State is one of about 100 historically black colleges and universities around the nation, and among those struggling to survive. In Pennsylvania, Cheney University is facing its own multi-million dollar deficit, and Washington, D.C.'s Howard University shed 200 staff members last year and announced 84 more layoffs this spring. Many of the schools have shed students as well and operate without the cushion of the endowments and alumni donations that elite, predominantly white schools rely on. State lawmakers last week turned to the worlds of finance and academia for a new interim board of trustees for South Carolina State. Gilda Cobb-Hunter has represented Orangeburg in the State House for 24 years. We needed someone to recognize the importance of checks and balances, accountability, transparency. There was a real systemic problem at South Carolina State 
a problem that has gone on for 25 or 30 years. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host, Soul Squad. Our special guest on this morning is Dr. Larry Stewart for this morning's discussion question. Are HBCUs still necessary? If I could get a quick thought from both of you on the cut that we just heard, and I'll go to the caller. We'll get to you after that. For all the other callers that are out there, please press 1 to let me know that you want to speak. And what I'll say, Dr. Stewart, we'll start with you. Um, the issue that I just heard, South Carolina, I'm from South Carolina, so that's my home state, HBCU, that I grew up knowing about, uh, and my cousin actually attended there um, for transferring himself. And so, in a sense, hearing about those issues, those issues that we're hearing about on this cut were actually from a few, a few years back, so it's not currently at this, and I hope they've you know, been able to help themselves since that time. Um, but the thing that I heard the legislator say has something that seems to be an issue at not only South Carolina State but some of the other colleges that the accountability is playing a role in some of the debt that some of the colleges are taking on and, and, and becoming an issue even for a Howard University, which a lot of you know, a lot of people consider that, you know, one of the top HBCUs in the entire country, but they have that issue with debt. I I even saw them some of the students protesting some of the accountability that was lacking maybe a year ago. So any thoughts on how that's playing a part in, in a sense, maybe keeping our HBCUs relevant just from a um, sustainability standpoint, if you will, King. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, thanks, uh, uh, brother. We, um, we, th- that is a, uh, a major issue, accountability. Uh, we are uh, seeing more and more HBCUs struggle um, because of finances. The Morris Browns didn't close down because of academics that was financed. Um, we, we saw the big challenge with, uh, with Bennett, uh, uh, Bennett, uh, uh, Bennett College earlier, uh, mm-hmm. this year. Um, mm-hmm. so, um, those are major concerns. You know, I'm, <clears throat> I'm, 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 I'm talking with you guys and I'm, I'm reading text messages from friends and family who are listening. And, um, my brother, so I have two brothers, uh, one, uh, all three degrees are from uh, Southern, and I have a brother who only went to uh, PWIs. He has an MBA, uh, but works in STEM. He said something profound to me. He said, the problem is that when we make money, we move to white neighborhoods. We never rebuild our communities. If we got money and started to clean up our own neighborhoods like Chinatown, we can make our communities more desirable. Uh, <clears throat> so I'm, I'm, I'm still there. When I think about uh, accountability, we need the best leaders at our HBCUs uh, to uh, give us 21st century uh, education, 21st century leadership. Um, And we do need to be accountable. We do need to make sure we pay our bills. Uh, But in order to do that, we do need to go back to uh, diversifying our money stream. Uh, We at HBCUs depend so much on, on government funding. Uh, and I was happy to hear Dr. Nave, the uh, uh, president-elect uh, to Alcorn State University, say that there's so uh, much land at Alcorn, uh, she wants to find a way to diversify, be it through research, be it through, uh, be it through business and industry, to diversify the money stream at, uh, at Alcorn. And I think mm-hmm. that's where our conversation uh, may, need to, may need to start. Uh, but alumni Makes need sense. to get off of it and, and give money to our, our school. Whether if you went to an HBCU or not, 
Uh, we need to, as my brother said, rebuild our own communities. We need to make that investment $1 a month, $10 a month, $100 a month, $1,000 a month, a million dollars a month, if you can afford to give it to Southern. Uh, give it to Jackson State. <laughs> I respect that. Uh, yeah, so it's a hundred out there. It may be one close to you. Could even then, like you said, if you didn't attend, um, that opportunity may exist. And before the show, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll speak about an opportunity for people to at least help people with scholarships. The number to get in for even if you're a family that's listening, if they want to make their comments live on the air, please give us a call at six four six seven eight seven one six nine one. Again, that number is six four six seven eight seven. One six nine one. Press one to let us know you want to speak. So, scribe, any thoughts? I got. I want to. I got a call. I want to go to. But just any thoughts about um, even that accountability portion? Portion. I don't know if you are aware of, in a sense, those issues. Again, just me researching it and keeping up and being concerned about HBCUs. I've I've noticed it over the years. Any thoughts from you, Queen? Oh yes, absolutely. Um, accountability is important in, in anything you do, um, whatever it is. And I definitely think that. Um, you know, when we have people in leadership positions at, at these HBCUs who are mismanaging money and, you know, who aren't um, ensuring that the students and the faculty have what they need, then there's a huge problem and no one wants to send, you know, their children to a school, you know, where they feel like uh, th- there's no accountability. And I think we just have mm-hmm. to communicate that message, um, you know, over and over again, whether it be media or alumni holding them ac- accountable. Um, but I, 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 I tell you again, when I when I compare schools and I, you know, I transferred, and it's like it wasn't just the fact that the school looked better and that you know it had all this great stuff, and you know I felt mm-hmm. like I was struggling across town. It was, you know, also the fact that the way I was being treated, you know, by by the uh, predominantly African-American staff versus when I went to another school and I, tr- I was treated like I was actually paying for my education with respect and, and, and kindness and, you know, less attitude. <laughs> and, you know, and then you think about the fact that at these HBCUs we have, you know, people who are not making the money that they feel they should be making, you know, who are not getting the salaries that they want to be have the accountability issue where money is going to other people in other places, you know, so the, it goes deeper. It goes to, okay, they're overworked right. and underpaid. You know, you got financial aid people who are giving the students attitude when you walk in the door, but the line is wrapped around the building and down the street, <laughs> you know, mm. so it's like... So, yeah, these are the realities. Yeah, we speak about them. Now, I respect okay. that. Um, I have a, a personal story I would like to share as well. I'm going to go to the caller and maybe I'll get to it. Um, let's go to Four eight zero last three three one four. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion question. Hey, good morning, Montoya. This is William Agno. I'm calling from uh, Dallas, Texas. Hey, how you doing, King? What you got for us? Well, I just, uh, you know, I always come, I always, I always try to apply. To, I'm in business for myself, and so I always try to apply things to, from a, to a business perspective. And listening to, mm-hmm. seeing the title of your, of your uh, topic today, and listening to the conversation. I think what's missing and what continues to be missing and what soon to be won't be missing is is where we are going with the audience of the customer from a business perspective. And I think HBCUs have to be very concerned with that. I think five to ten years out, you have to always, in business, what you're always looking at is how the dynamic of your customer or your audience or whoever you're serving, whether it's a product or business, how that's changing and what they're looking for. And as we all can see, we are a global market. We are a diver- diversity is a huge conversation um, mm-hmm. in today's market. 
And I think what we have to really take into consideration, and I think the struggles, the financial struggles, I'm seeing it right now, like my niece and my, 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 my brother-in-law and my, and, my, and my sister, they both are graduates of South Carolina State, but my niece is a different animal, right, if you will. And, of course, they want her to experience the legacy and the things that they experience, but she is a different – she's 15 years old. So as you guys know, the environment we live in now for 15-year-olds, for Gen Y, if you will, is a different – they're looking for a different thing. And they're mm-hmm. more embracing and they're more they, – they embrace more and they're having more experience with diversification and diversity. And I've witnessed this. I'm 43 years old. I've witnessed this at the, at the top, the mid-tier, and the bottom levels. When I was at Intel Corporation, which is a Fortune 500 company, there were many opportunities that I missed because I was not bilingual, because I didn't understand how to move in an environment that was not just my environment. They were looking for that, that diversity, that ability to be uh, more valuable in the marketplace. And so – I think you got to look at what your what your customer. And if we look at schools, schools are a business. They're a business, right? And so, mm-hmm. what they're what they are doing is they're putting, they're they're graduating people and these people, young young adults, and these young adults have to go into a market. And this market is becoming competitive. I see it when I go to McDonald's. I see it when I go to the movie theater. All of the managers, all of the people in leadership positions, are people who have the ability to move in a space that's not just a space that they they are used to. They have to have that diversity. They have to be able to speak uh, multiple languages. They have to be able to move in a different space. And so my point with that is, uh, from an HBCU perspective, I think that conversation, I don't think it started yet, and I don't think they're seeing, and I think some of the financial struggles is that your audience, your your customers are going, well, what type of competitive advantage is this going to give me when I get into the marketplace, because they're seeing that and they're having different experiences. So I think anywhere from three to five to 10 years out, there's going to be a, 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 a wave of, of despair if HBCUs don't adjust to this diversification in the marketplace. We, we live in a global environment now. Let me let Dr. Right, Stewart right. respond to you, um, um, okay. if you will, William. I just want to, you know, you've heard. Uh, again, he's coming from a business standpoint. Um, the uh, the outlook is always needed, I think, before, and added to any of these conversations. I always appreciate this King's three cents um, to any conversation that he gets in on. But if you will, Dr. Stewart, he said, he said a lot. Um, any response to what uh, William has to say? Uh, I, I totally agree. Uh, and I think we're seeing that in uh, in trend um, uh, to a small degree, not it's not large enough, where we're seeing more universities, HBCUs particularly, are uh, going with uh, business leaders as presidents and not traditional academics. Uh, so I, I do think we have to uh, remain relevant, uh, <clears throat> but I do think that um, that uh, that we have uh, a duty uh, to uh, sound sound uh, the alarm and let our uh, HBCUs know uh, what our kids want. Uh, what our kids need, uh, but in doing that, in order to make that call to be able to call and say this is what we, what, what you, what our, my kid wants, what my kid needs, I need to have uh, given to my university. So it always goes back to what have I done um, to uh, ensure uh, the legacy continues at my university. So I, I do agree, we do have to stay relevant for our consumer, for our customer, and customer, the customer is the student. Uh, but I also uh, know that we as African Americans have to do our part uh, to, uh, you know, call uh, call them to the carpet when they're not doing what they should be doing, um, 
but we uh, also need to uh, um, uh, ensure that, that we are giving back too. No, it makes sense. And I'll say this real quick. We're at the top of the hour, uh, William. I'll let you go. You can get back in if you want to come off the one and come, come back on the second hour. Okay. And the one thing I will okay. say, just even in my research, a lot of people sometimes are often unaware that our HBCUs often are graduating 70%, 80% African American. So in a sense, they've opened up the enrollment and kind of always has been open to whoever wants to attend. So that's not a new for HBCUs. Um, but a lot of their staffs, and departments are being ran by a diversified um, staff for the reasons that you're talking about. And again, maybe right. maybe it's not being done to the level that it needs to be done. You know, maybe you know. Right. Again, it's outside looking in. I'm not. I don't have the experience, but in my research, that is something that is a reality. So I do believe some of the HBCUs are were, are, are concerned about the very thing that you brought to the table. Well, thank you for your three cents this morning, King. All right, everybody, we're up against the 11 o'clock break. Brother Piak, I see you're looking to get back in. We'll be right back. All I ask is that you think. My name is Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. I am the owner and facilitator of the Mental Dialogue Community Support Group focused on practical solutions and the collective thinking of the black community. We do that one of two ways. Every third Friday, 7 p.m. at Urban Grind, or Saturday mornings, the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Contact us at mentaldialogue.com or on Facebook at Mental Dialogue. All I ask is that you think. Dialogue Talk Show. I am your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Soulscribe, and I hope y'all are jamming with me with this uh, this cut from <laughs> yeah, I say We like to spice it up a little bit as, as the kids say. I think they still use the word uh, turn up. I think, I mean, I may be out of place. I don't know what the kids are saying these days or whatever, uh, but I definitely wanted to, I had to, I should say, had to bring to the table um, Beyonce's um, cut from Coachella where she obviously played tribute to our HBCUs and she ended up coming out with her live concert album um, referred to as Homecoming and talking about, you know, had she had a college experience, she would have wanted to be an HBCU uh, um, experience. I also have on another guest for this second hour, I wanted to bring her to the table, Dr. Stephanie Miles Richardson. Thank you for being with us this morning, Queen. If you will, Say hello to the truth seekers and give people a little bit of your background as we continue this morning's discussion. And we take it a slightly, slightly different direction and, and, and talk about, in a sense, 
this pop culture reference to HBCUs and how relevant it might be to this morning's discussion. But thank you for being with us, Queen. Again, give us your background and say hello to the Truth Seekers. Good morning, Truth Seekers. I am uh, Dr. Stephanie Miles Richardson. I'm excited to be here. Are you hearing me okay? You're coming through loud and clear, Queen. Go ahead. Wonderful, wonderful. And and let me just say, um, I am battling allergies got me down, so my voice is not usually this raspy, but I feel better than I sound. Um, I am currently um, Associate Director, uh, Associate uh, Dean, Associate Dean of Public Health at Morehouse School of Medicine, as well as Director of the Master of Public Health program there. Um, I am a proud graduate of Grambling State University, um, received my bachelor's in biology, and I also graduated from Tuskegee University College of Veterinary Medicine, so I am a veterinarian. And then I want to uh, add a different perspective to the conversation because I also went to a PWI, and I won't call the name, uh, but it's a Big Ten university that people are very impressed with, and I received a dual Ph.D. at that institution. Um, after that, I, I uh, received a postdoctoral fellowship from um, National Institutes of Environmental Health Sciences, um, and then I spent uh, over a decade at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention where I was an associate director as well as oh, wow. a commissioned officer. So, you know, so I've been on both sides of the aisle. And so my perspective on HBCUs is informed by spending some time uh, at PWIs and, and in the world and choosing to uh, return home and join Morehouse mm-hmm. School of Medicine. And so oh, let I me love just it. say I've got... I listened to the oh, first hour and, and had some thoughts that I just, you know, I was trying to hold my peace and not call in. But um, a couple of things <laughs> I want to say. One is okay. really simple from my perspective. And, and to answer the question if HBCUs are still relevant, it's really, it boils down to expectation. And so a lot of times people get distracted by the bells and whistles. Sure, if you got a lot of money, you can have a lot of bells and whistles. But expectation means uh what what I expect that student to achieve, and it's born out of, I believe, the African proverb that says, I am because you are and because you are, I am. So what that means is that when a student comes to an HBCU, it's personal, and that student must be successful and must achieve. That is different at PWI, as I know because I was there. Uh, you can do well. If you do well, great. If you don't do well, okay. But that's not an option at HBCUs. The other thing I want to say um, right off the top is it's about exposure. You know, a lot of um, a lot of my my friends and Saras and you know our folks from Grambling and, and Tuskegee, I, I don't understand how the HBCU is good enough for them, but not good enough for their children. I have two children, one child now who is at uh, Grambling State University. My oldest son graduated from there. He actually teaches there, and so part of the exposure wow. it has to happen early. Then, and this is culture, mm-hmm. right? So we went to every homecoming. My husband's also an alum of Grambling. We went to every homecoming, children in tow, dressed in black and gold. We go to everybody's <laughs> classes. And so I remember when my daughter was um, graduating from high school over here in Atlanta, and uh, a very good high school, uh, black excellence type of a high school. And I'd show up in my Grambling gear, and all of the other parents who came from HBCUs are talking about sending their children elsewhere. And I recall a parent came to me and said, well, what's your daughter's decision? I said, decision about what? Uh, and <laughs> neither my, my daughter nor I even understood the conversation. 
But she was right, asking me, what school did mm-hmm. your child decide right. to go to? I said, right. the decision well, was given made. in your household. Grandma showed her a long time ago. So so I'll, I'll leave my opening with that. But one of the things I think that we have to get back to is the, the, our children now don't even know the opportunity. They don't know the culture. We live in a different kind of uh, a, a different kind of society where they don't even know what they need. And so it's up to us uh, alum. That, that's our responsibility. And so I'll stop there. No, that's fair no, enough. And my co-host, yeah, yeah, uh, my co-host, Soscribe, she spoke specifically to that. Um, she, in a sense, went to Albany State, from my understanding. I just heard it this morning myself. Uh, but almost by through osmosis, in a sense, that her family went. But even they, as she said, didn't speak to them the importance. And so that could have made a difference in her possibly not transferring uh, for the very reason that you talk about. So you definitely bring something to the yeah. table. Um, to make reference Alabama to, State. to you, if I if, I'm sorry. Yeah, if I could, if I could make Alabama reference Alabama to Alabama State. Uh, oh, Alabama State. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said it wrong. Apologize. No, thank you for the correction. Um, uh, yeah, definitely. I got to tell you your names right. We got to put them out there loud and clear at HBCU, so I do apologize for that. Uh, but when I'll make reference to, again, the Beyonce recent, in a sense, tribute, I guess from her perspective of HBCUs, I wanted to hear everybody's thought, again, even if you haven't seen it, um, just any if if you if if you if you've seen it, step to the plate first and, and kind of say uh, what was your perspective on it. I have another alumni's perspective that I want to bring to the table. She was not pleased by um, the homecoming live concert in in her mind and how it represented HBCUs. But if if you've seen it, give me your initial thoughts on um, Beyonce in a sense. You know, a lot of people, the public kind of looks at her, or a black co- the community looks at her as she, in a sense, looked out and is possibly putting a shot in the arm for even raising money for HBCUs. Any thoughts on her album and how it may may help or hurt the HBCU community? Uh, uh, I want to uh, jump uh, jump in and say, Dr. Miles Richardson, you all, if I were in the black church, I would be passed out and the ushers would be fanning me uh, uh, when you were up talking. You nailed it. That is the message. That is the message. Uh, but, uh, Matoya, in reference to your uh, uh, Beyonce homecoming um, um, uh, question, I did watch yesterday, finally. Uh, I heard all the hype. Uh, and I've never really been a true Beehive uh, fan. I, I, uh, you know, I jumped on, uh, on, on board with Lemonade, and, and now I see the hype around homecoming. But uh, I tell you what, uh, I think what Beyonce did, um, I used to teach at, uh, at Clark Atlanta. I taught communications. That, that's uh, where I got my start in, uh, uh, in communication. And I taught a class called African American Images in the Media. And uh, in that class, we took a critical look at shows like, uh, like Good Times uh, 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 and, and all the other black shows. Uh, and at that point in my life, uh, with very limited um, – looking through a very limited lens, I thought, oh, wow, uh, they did, really did make mockery of, of, of African-American culture and African-American uh, families uh, uh, with J.J. Uh, being a buffoon. Um, and in uh, 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 converse, uh, I look at uh, the Cosby show and, and how wholesome and, and how great uh, African-American families were. But uh, today, uh, I say all of that is hogwash, if I could use uh, a word from my old high school uh, music teacher. Uh, <laughs> we are a melting pot of people, and what Beyonce did, I think, was uh, was gave voice again uh, to to create some synergy around HBCUs, and she spoke 
uh, as the uh, as the uh, caller called a bit ago, talking about uh, uh, knowing your customer, knowing your knowing your consumer. Uh, she spoke to pop culture. She spoke to young people, and she built synergy around. Now it's up to us to do what Dr. Miles Richardson said, and uh, and get get off of it, and get our our students, our boys and girls, to HBCUs. Uh, she's open. She she uh, opened the door to exposure uh, for them okay. uh, in a way that, that they get it. Now, make sure. Let me ask. Let me jump in real quick. Um, have either uh, Dr. Um, I was just saying, have you seen it or social have you seen it? If you've seen it, I want to get a response. If you not, if not, I want to go ahead and share um, just one of my one of my uh, someone, someone I'm sorry someone that I follow. I want to share their thoughts about it just to to hear that contrast. But if you've seen it, I want to go ahead and hear your thoughts. Have either of y'all seen it? I have not. I have not. Seen no, it. I have. I have not. I have seen it. I've okay. seen it. And, okay, go um, ahead. Okay, so y'all want to get your three cents <laughs> first. All right, go ahead, Queen. Well, well, I will say I think Beyonce did an excellent job um, with sharing the the uh, African American experience at HBCU. Um, my ex husband was on the football team for all four years and played, and I went to games. I was on the newspaper staff, and I will say that she brought light to HBCUs, and I think that that is something that like we need to take it and, r- and run with it. You know, you had Taylor Swift even trying to imitate <laughs> Beyonce, um, mm-hmm. and and you know because pop culture is is where it's at. Most people really love music and they're you know they're into it and they they want to follow you know what what the trend is. And so I think it's a it presents a great platform for us to take that and to run with it and to educate our children and to start those conversations that we're not having. Um, and, and and share the history. You know, she had the sprinkled sprinkled in history and the quotes, and you know, it wasn't just about the bands and the sororities and fraternities. It was it was all inclusive in that she shared knowledgeable information and she shared, you know, why she was so passionate about it and what it did for her with identification right. and and just the energy around that. So I think right. honestly, I think she did a great job. Okay, and for what I understand, I'm, and, I, and I haven't researched this thoroughly, but I think I've seen um, her and Jay-Z um, plan to continue contributing to HBCUs, um, in a sense, after offering that live concert. What I'm going to do, we don't have a lot of time. I'm going to share a contrasting thought. And, again, I just think I was fair to this conversation. I'm going to go to break and get on some other, I would say, more important conversations, but it was definitely worthy of bringing up Bay just, for, again, because she had just recently done that. But here's a contrasting thought, and unfortunately I won't have a chance to get y'all responses. Um, but it says um, her response, this person, again, I follow, her response was, as far as the live concert was, it's a no for me. This is not my black college experience, and quite frankly, I don't appreciate our black women students at HBCUs being represented this way. Someone who didn't experience can't tell me what it is. What a mockery. Our poor Greek organizations, no respect. All lines have been crossed. Sadly, halftime shows will be full of this half-nakedness and pole dancing without the pole. Yeah, I said it. Uh, She says, how about the plethora of contradictions? You're singing lift every voice one minute, then calling women bitches in the next. I'm already wondering why we let our young ladies do strip teasers, and now it's being passed off as more groupthink for normalization. How about telling the black man, F you, grab my balls. Really? I'm so over certain universities and its portrayal as a party school. Then we wonder why we have alumni giving issues. Look at what's being recruited. There are a plethora of talent. um, There was a plethora of talent with missed opportunities and bad portrayals of our history. 
is nothing sacred to us as a people anymore. Um, she said some more things, but I'll kind of just leave it there. And again, this is just our commitment on this dialogue of, of bringing both sides to the table. I do hate that. I'm pretty sure y'all want to respond. I hate that I won't be able to give you the opportunity um, to respond to that. Uh, we're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. We'll be right back. But all I ask is that you think. Where did you get that hat and t-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at moneymotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most, it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Oh, how about this one? Excuses made $0 an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go. Everywhere I be, be. I don't even talk. What I'm hopeful about that at least they're going to take the look and say, let's find what we're doing in the agencies and let's get this money directed in where it's supposed to go. And I really want to talk about the R&D and the FFRDCs and all the stuff that most HBCU presidents don't even know about, tragically. There's a lot of money in the R&D space. Our country spends $30 billion with a B dollars a year in R&D that goes to John Hopkins, That's Stanford, right. Harvard, Yale, dollars, right. and the HBCUs get about $15 million to $30 million of that. That's tragic. And, and let me just point out, too, it's important the executive side of the House, but ultimately the White House has a small budget. It can recommend a budget. Ultimately, we've got to get over to Congress, which is why the first day was at the White House. The second day was the HBCU fly-in being hosted by the Republican leadership at the Library of Congress. Mm -hmm. That's what's important because where it's all going to hit, the president releases budget in the next six or eight weeks, and then it goes over to Congress. We've got to get the money not only authorized. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Soccer Tees, special guest co-host, Soul Squad, and we have two special guests on for the second hour. Our HBCU still necessary. Dr. Delaria Stewart has been with us, and just joining us, Dr. Stephanie Miles Richardson. Thank y'all all for being with us, and we're going to keep navigating. Uh, I think this cut right here is extremely critical um, to understand, again, a point that I brought up earlier in the show from another cut, the idea of our presidents, all the way back to Carter, making executive orders to ensure that there was, in a sense, money set aside for our HBCUs. In that particular cut, you, you kind of hear reference to the particulars of what's, in a sense, been, in my opinion, just again, researching this this week, has been the miss. You know, they, they set aside the money, but the directing of the money is where we've missed. And you've heard a specific example of how, uh, unfortunately, Overall, our HBCUs have been have not been able to take advantage of this money that is available that could be a critical um, true shot. You know, we talk about the pop reference to Beyonce, but now we're talking about the actual, you know, money, finances, and and this is an area as you and I forgot I forgot which 
which which um, corresponded with saying that a lot of the HBCU presidents miss out on this. So uh, I would obviously I'm going to default to I'll start with you, um, Dr. Miles Richardson, um, having you know especially being at the let me say this real quick and I'll let you speak, um, especially being for, for example at the School of Medicine at Morehouse. Um, have have you seen a focus in this area? Because I would assume research and development is a, a big part of what y'all are doing at that university. And and the last thing I'll say is that cut comes from a couple of years ago when these budgets were being set. So I would ask, are we seeing any execution at this point a couple of years later from that budget being set? Um, Queen, if you will, go ahead. Yeah, so um, I think what, uh, in my experience, not only at Morehouse um, School of Medicine, but uh, at our other HBCUs that I've attended, I think we got to a place of um, being complacent with uh, federal set-asides. You know, there was a time in in our recent history where folks kind of wanted to do right from the federal perspective. At least they said that, and they put a few dollars to that and we thought it was a lot of dollars, but it was really a little bit. But at least it allowed them to sleep at night and us to do a little something. I think we've become complacent um, as institutions and became too reliant on those funds. And so I know what we're doing in my school of medicine, and we we've seen it coming. And so this, you know, we we've done this for a while, is to di- diversify our funding streams. There's a whole lot of stuff we can do. We don't have to uh, be dependent on set-asides, and I think that uh, that's just somewhere we have to go. And and uh, there are private companies, there are foundations, there are a whole lot of other monies out there for our institutions. And so we have to just um, operate a little differently um, in, in that space. Not fair enough. Dr. Stewart, any thoughts on, um, and I, you've already mentioned some diversification at Alcorn State, so, um, you know, you know. but anything, any, any other thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I, I just say, uh, amen, amen, amen. I, I totally agree. We have to look for uh, stop looking for handouts and find ways to diversify our our funding streams. And uh, and alumni have to really start uh, making the commitment to give back to our institutions. Now, fair enough. If you're out there on the line, the number to get in is six. Well, if you're online, the number to get in is six four six seven eight seven one six nine one. If you're on the phone line and want to get in, you do have to press one to let us know you want to speak. But if you actually want to get back in, and let me say this real quick, brother, if you actually is a, uh, reti- I think retired at this point, prominent businessman out of the St. Louis area. So uh, he's like William brings in that business perspective, and I think you know, as, as William said earlier, you know, in fact, you know, our schools are businesses, even if we don't want to look at them that way. So very interested in what he would have to say uh, about what we what we have, but I'll get him on. Brother Pierre, can I, we got you back in for another three cents. Go ahead, King. Oh, well, that's you, Dr. Miles? Yeah, okay. I want to okay, speak to the pop culture when we get back there, but I'll, I'll stand by. Okay, okay, no problem. Yeah, absolutely, those schools are businesses. But here's the thing. Just like this lady had the choice of gambling if we don't if if parents don't have a choice while they're in those elementary grades elementary middle school and high school then the child that's coming to the hbcus are not going to be able to withstand those rigors i mean that's just a fact and we have to come to the realization and another point i think that parents need to leave the politics out of these children's life because I seen a scene at Batum Cookman where Betsy DeVoice was speaking and the assembled graduating class booed her and turned their back to her. 
Now, that is totally disrespectful, and I say shame on those that coach those children to do that because now you're talking about this administration needing to up the ante, but, you know, people have a tendency to remember and hold grudges. And you also you have to remember that everybody is not coming from the same experience nor the same social economic status, but you still can use them to help you progress where you want to go. Now, those are fair thoughts. I got one quick question for you, Brother Piyaki, and and it was another cut that was played earlier, um, talking about how, in a sense, the students themselves, uh, um, you know, in a sense, thinking for themselves, you know. So I would just, I just kind of point out when you say maybe somebody coached, I would, I would venture to say that the students in a sense, made the decisions themselves. Of course, you don't have to agree with it, but I don't even know if it's necessarily anyone coaching them as much as, uh, you know, they have minds of their own just to kind of throw that out there. And, again, it's not to, um, you know, in a sense to disagree with you, but I just want to share that that I would guesstimate that the students themselves may have come to that conclusion, you know, based on something she had publicly said prior to getting to that. To the, to the, Let to me the, say this. Um, Washington, mm-hmm. Washington University in St. Louis Black students in that university, they call it the Little little Harvard, their graduation rate in some years is higher than the white population at this school. You're talking about a 94, 96% one time, white 96, next time blacks 96. Those children at that school never would turn their back on Bessie DeVos. I know black kids that attend Fairview or Fairfield. They they would never turn their back on Bessie Divorce or even Al Sharpton if he came there. So that's just the difference that in reality do exist. And we got to do better. Hey, all right. Thank you for your three cents again. Thanks again, King. Uh, um, Soul Scribe, I'll let you. Oh, sorry. Um, um, let me get. Let me get. We haven't heard from Soul Scribe real quick, so let me like, maybe give, get some thoughts from her on what Brother Penn had to say, and then Dr. Miles will come right back to you on your um, pop culture reference. Go ahead, Soul Scribe. Uh, you want me to respond to what he was saying about the I didn't, know if, had, I didn't know if you had any thoughts. If you, I want to make sure. Oh, uh, you know, just I, you know, did, I, with guess. I want to make sure that you have some thoughts. Go ahead, Queen. I, I do. I definitely do have uh, some thoughts. When he, when he was saying, you know, the children, you know, um, being coached and taught, there's just a plethora of information out there versus, you know, when I was to school in 96, you know, we've got the Internet. There's just so much information for these students to to get what they need to see what the school looks like online, to see what's all available. There's just, it's just a totally different world. And then you, you talk about the level of respect. Well, of course, these, these newer generation that's coming up, there's, you know, unfortunately with culture and especially our radio stations and the way that their minds work and, and the level of respect that they have for their elders is something that is definitely, we need to bring attention to because there is no, um, no gap that's being bridged between the two gener- the different generations, and we just, as parents and as, as community leaders, need to make sure that that's something that we're working on and consistently working on because they're going to get the information from the internet, from their friends at school, and we have to counterattack that. No, it makes sense. We got to be those guys like Dr. Miles uh, was in a sense with her daughter, was you know, kind of without thought. It was just understood, here's your path. But if you will, Dr. Miles, please go ahead with your um, thought from earlier. So, yeah, my my thoughts actually um, follow the last two uh, comments, and it's really about identity. And so, you know, if you think way back, there there was always peer pressure. There was always friends influencing kids and all this kind of thing. But the world that we live in now, 
it, it never turns off. And so what, what we've lost is community, which the triad included church, it included school, you know, it included the family structure. You know, back in the day, you can act a fool and a neighbor can get you, and that's okay. Um, but that doesn't mm-hmm. exist now. And so what I think is happening is that reinforcement that children used to have back in the day, they don't have that. That reinforcement is through social media, is through the TV, is through the radio, is through the pop culture. And so we just have to recognize that that's what it is and help our students um, um, get an identity or reclaim our identity. Because what we're doing is we're trying to push them toward agency that is the capacity to act independently and productively. And so they don't know what to do. They walk out at Bethune Cookman. That's what they thought to do. We have to teach them differently. And I think that's the piece that we're missing at our HBCUs, recognizing that that now becomes our responsibility. I'll give you a quick example. Um, the, the public health program that I direct, we have a uniform. Now, I get pushback all the time on that uh, from students who don't understand what that means. But it's not about controlling the student. It's about teaching them an identity that will have them successful in the culture that they're going into, the work culture. The, the, the pop culture is not the work culture that's going to hire them. And so we have to teach them that. And so we go through a lot of changes to ensure professionalism, professional development, how to engage. And, again, I get pushback. I don't get pushback, interestingly, from students who came from HBCU because they understand. And so I think that's just somewhere that we have to recognize that that's what we have to do. And then the other thing about this, I didn't see the, the, the Beyonce uh, uh, video, but I, I can tell you I was at Grambling uh, State University a year or so ago doing convocation, and one of the things I said to the students is we play hard. That's cool, but we work harder. And I think that's where the shift is. We've always played hard, but we've always worked harder. Now folks just come play. But we have to teach them differently. That's on us. Right. Now, here's a, here's a reality, and we're going to go to another break, and Dr. Stewart will come to you out of break. Here's a reality. Uh, again, uh, we have the hard conversations on race as we specialize, race and sex, to be honest, is what we specialize on the Men Not All Talk Show. And so for all of the great advice that y'all are all giving, and, again, the viability, you know, talking about the sustainability and the viability of these HBCUs, um, you know, there's one number that, that again, I'm kind of a stats person. I don't like to rely just on numbers, but I'll have all of you speak to it. Um, you know, another reality in in the sustainability of our HBCUs is the generally speaking, the unfortunate graduation rates um, kind of throughout. Um, it doesn't apply to every school, but from if you just generalize them all together. Um, if you look at the graduation rates on a six-year scale, which is how America chooses to do the scale, in a sense, when you look at these rates, uh, we're seeing four out of five not graduate in six years. That is an alarming number. And at the end of the day, if we don't have the endowments, student attendance has to, in a sense, be the shot that that continues. If we say they're irrelevant, if we say they're necessary, they may become become extinct, not because we don't need them, but because we can't afford to keep them there. So uh, we're going to go to a break. When we come back, we'll get into that. Listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, but all I ask is that you would think. Square Business Entertainment brings you their latest hit, I Really Want You, by Taylor Pace. Take a listen. I really want, I really want you. 
wanna do something. I know that I know that I can do If you love this as much as I am, be sure to go to their YouTube page and subscribe. Search for Square Business Entertainment. They are also rewarding their fans with a new release every 30 days. Here's another one by Taylor Pace. Love can't define this. Love can define this. Can capture all your sweetness and your kindness. Love can define this. We're crippled and love would only blind us. Continue to have you can throw as much money as you want after institutions if they have the wrong sort of governance and the wrong professional staff then all of the dollars in the world won't solve the problem are HBCUs uniquely at risk yes yes largely because we acknowledge we acknowledge that we were first historically underfunded check have that but then we continue to live I don't think we've had a a real discussion about the appropriate new mission for HBCUs. What is their market? Well, Who are their services? What, what is that? Well, as, you, as you sit here and you set out on a mission to educate young black students, what should the mission be? So at its core, it is educating African-American students. I mean, that is the point of having a historically black college and university. But we've got to identify majors and programs that are relevant to the market. You know, what are employers looking at hiring? If students are majoring in, in, in particular majors that are no longer relevant to the market, then they're not doing their jobs. These kids are incurring significant, significant amounts of, of, of student debt to get a degree, and if you go out and then that degree doesn't pay off, then it fails, and therefore the, there's no incentive for other students to come to the university. Has the education landscape in general shifted as well? It, we used to say in the black community that if, if somebody else caught a cold, we got pneumonia. Right. Is that still the case as well with HBCUs as, as, as the black landscape changes? Somewhat, but the entire there's been such disruption in higher education generally. I mean, you have majority institutions that are going out of business and struggling as well. Right. You have a school like Sweet Briar down in Virginia that has just announced its last graduating class. They have a $100 million endowment. Right. The business of higher education has changed so significantly that this is not unique to HBCUs. Now, to be fair, we're historically underfunded, and therefore, to your point, the rest of the world gets the cold, we get pneumonia because we have been historically underfunded. But that is just, that's not unique to the HBCU space. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates Special guest co-host, Flow Squad, thank you, Queen, for being with us this morning's discussion question. Are HBCUs still necessary? Two special guests on with us, Dr. Delaria Stewart, alumni of Southern University, as well as Dr. Stephanie Mile Richardson, alumni of Gremlin State University, and a pretty extensive background throughout all of the HBCUs. We actually have a caller that wants to get in, so let's get to the caller, and we'll let you all address the cut we just heard as well. Area code hey. 502, last three, 283. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion question. Hey, this is Brand House calling from Louisville, Kentucky. What's going hey, on? Hey, what's up, Brand? How you doing, King? How you, thanks for being with us. What you got? Good. I appreciate you uh, letting me in uh, and the discussion. You know, uh, the doctor before, uh, he uh, gave a shout-out to uh, Washington University in St. Louis, my alma mater, and um, just wanted to – talk about what that school is doing as a majority school it led the ferguson commission on um, uh, recovery in the st louis area after uh, the mike brown uh, discussion wow. and and 
to to that point, I wonder if one of the challenges to HBCUs is that majority universities are recognizing the need to teach um, and to teach to and, and attract uh, minority students. And um, it, in the same vein that our historically black colleges and universities were with with the, the uh, culture, you know, when you get these mm-hmm. um, cultural and diversity, every, every university, or I'm sorry, when I was on the school board uh, this past four years, I, I presented to our school board that our students are going to universities where each of, each of them have a diversity and inclusion program. Each of them have a, mm-hmm. a uh, African-American uh, culture uh, college or, or program that, that attracts students mm-hmm. as well. And to that point, is, is that pushing, is that kind of innovation in these schools pushing out, uh, you know, what maybe we heard in this last segment, what is expected of our HBCUs and providing that opportunity to let our students go to majority schools? That makes sense. That's a great question. Yeah, no, I love. That. I think it's, all, it's pretty clear what you're saying. I'm gonna let Dr. Stewart um, tackle it first. Um, I think that's a great question. Uh, you know, are we having to compete with that? And I would even offer some of these schools possibly having quote unquote even more marketing dollars to point out, hey, we have this new toy over here, which is we 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 got your culture over here. Come on over here. Um, so any, I think that's a great question. Thank you for bringing it to the table. Um, and and if ahead, I can say something Stewart. real quick. Oh yeah, go ahead. If I can say something real quick. Yeah, please. I, I think it's very sincere too. We had just as our kids uh, come up in a mm-hmm. cult, in a pop culture that is, is very integrated. So are kids from uh, my uh, majority communities uh, are mm-hmm. coming up and having a lot more compassion for you know uh, what we understand is the plight or condition of our community. So I think it's very sincere no, for the university. Yeah, that's a strong. Yeah, that's a, yeah. It's not the you know, it's not the check a box of the seventies when they you know put, quote, right. put the word quote out there. It's not that approach. So that's what you're also offering. It looks pretty different now. Um, Dr. Stewart, any thoughts to what Brent brings to the table? I think it's an interesting question. Um, uh, uh, thank you. They, uh, you know, I do uh, appreciate um, majority institutions' uh, efforts to uh, diversify um, uh, higher education. Uh, I am a big proponent of diversity, so I, I, I appreciate that. I welcome that. Um, I think today our conversation is uh, <clears throat> is consistent to uh, uh, HBCUs being relevant. So what can we do um, to keep the attractiveness of our schools uh, to mm-hmm. our young people? Um, you know, uh, w- one point I heard uh, in the clip uh, as we were on break uh we're talking about uh, uh, universities being relevant, HBCUs being relevant, uh, and meeting the workforce needs. Uh, that, that's a good uh, place to start the conversation, I think, for uh, HBCUs to be healthy, and that is can they meet the unmet workforce force needs of our global society? Uh, it hurt my heart to hear that uh, Southern University started a, uh, a degree program, in, and I don't know what it's called, but basically general studies for Alcorn to have a general studies program or Jackson State to have an interdisciplinary uh, studies program. We do mm-hmm. need to counsel our students to uh, degree programs that they can go out and uh, compete uh, for for jobs. Uh, I embrace uh, uh, the uh, previous conversation around STEM, uh, but I also uh, ask that we embrace um, 
um, areas of employment uh, where where students still can make a uh, make uh, a meaningful living. Uh, and make a yeah, that's very smart. Let me let me get Dr. Miles in real quick, if you will, um, Dr. Stewart. Dr. Miles Richardson, if you will, uh, any thoughts too? Again, I think this is a, a fabulous question uh, to think if we're going to figure out how maybe keep. ICCs relevant in the future. This is a question we have to be considering. You know what? The, what is the competition doing? Quote unquote. Go ahead, Cole. So let me let me just speak to um, my initial thought, and I think it's all connected, and that is graduation rates, particularly at HBCUs. Um, mm-hmm. The thought is along the line of, of what we've said, and that is first of all we have to look at our input, right? And then we're, we're the, the goal is output. But I think we have to just become um, – <clears throat> we have to address the students that we're getting. We're not doing that. And so, for example, if students come into HBCUs, majority institutions, wherever, and they have not learned how to make goals and objectives, they have not learned how to implement timelines and plans and execution of plans, they don't come with that. We have to teach them that. And so customized approaches, these are the, some of the things that we do. Um, we have attendance requirements. We have to go back and require some things that you would think we don't have to require, but this teaches students how to be successful. Um, advisement, not when students think they need it, but anyway, uh, because students don't know when they need it. So, so I think that one of the things that we're not doing at HBCUs is we may be, you know, we're happy the students are there, and then we just let them come on along, and maybe they'll get out and maybe they won't, but we have to go back to track each student. That is what happens at majority institutions, and that is a difference, and I think that um, gets to a different output. But I can also tell you on the, same, on the same vein, you know, I went to both, and the difference in going to an HBC, and I was successful at both. So let me say that. They were both wonderful experiences. I learned what I needed to learn, and I was successful. But going to an HBCU was like going to my cousin's house, eating the food I usually eat listening and enjoying the things I usually just so I felt at home. Going to the majority institution, it was a nice place. They were very nice. They fed me. I didn't feel at home. And so the way I was able to survive and thrive was different. I didn't see images of myself at the majority institution. I didn't see enough of me. And if I had not gone through Bramlin State University and Tuskegee University before I went there, I do not think I would have been as successful. But I had a model that I can pull, you know, that I can, I can right. reflect on as I was in that environment that didn't have anything to do with me. Uh, and then I understood so me, what I meant to that environment along with the tracking because right. I was the face of diversity because uh, of the color of my skin. <laughs> right, right. You were feeling that, you were feeling that, 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 that um, spot slot. Um, the thing I love yeah. about what you just said, and this is something that I think has been left out of this conversation, and Brent, I'll give you one quick thought before we go to the next caller. Um, and it's not related to exactly what you said, but I think I, know, I definitely want to let you speak to what they had to say. And so I'll get you in as well. Uh, one quick thing about what you just said is how you feel like your Gremlin experience made you better, even in that PWI per se. And that's the one thing we talk about in a sense, um, you know, how our kids are prepared. One thing I do see from my friends who have graduated from HBCUs is a level of pride due to seeing themselves that does set them up often to compete anywhere they go. So, you know, yeah, you know, as much as we can belabor the graduation rate numbers being low, but for those who do, you know, make it in four or five, six years and they come out, they are usually pretty equipped for the market, whatever it brings, just based on, in a sense, seeing themselves being at home and getting a sense of self 
that quite often is lacking, I would say, you know, when you attend the PWI first. Uh, one quick thought again, you and I wanted to share, Brent has been, as you said, been on the school board at the level because we keep hearing Brother Fiancé bringing up the idea of, you know, having kids come prepare. So any 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 response to what you just heard from Dr. Stewart or Dr. Miles Richardson in, 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 in reference to your question? Go ahead, Kenny. Hey, yeah, and I think my question was about competition and, and um, you know, what what the challenges are getting the students, having students being attracted to what's going on at HBCU. The family, I, I'll touch on this point and leave you with this, but the family members that I have uh, that have gone to HBCU still say this to this day. And um, along with that, in 97, um, we had you and I at the Air Force Academy. We had a ring dance, and I took a girl from Phoenix. She was a racially mixed student. Um, she went to Southern University, and she said the reason she went to Southern University uh, to speak to what my family and what kind of what you just said um, say about HBCUs. She said that she was she didn't know her minority side when she went to Southern. She felt the sense of pride that you talked about. So that is. Still, the, one of the greatest values that um, I think is going on uh, at, at HBCUs. We have a senator, uh, Claiborne. Uh, he just retired here in the, in the Illinois area. He takes students on a, a HBCU tour that you, you know those college tours that you hear about uh, a lot during the summertime. He does that uh, out of his his own pocket um, with donations to to wow. obviously continue to propel the uh the value of uh, hbcu so uh thanks for the conversation this is great and uh i love listening to uh to what everybody has to say thanks now thanks a lot king we're actually up against a break so caller we'll get to you come out of the break soul squad will come to you i want to make an announcement for the Vince dialogue community club we're going to be supporting um the 12th annual hbcu run walk so we'll get into that when we come out of the break um listening to the mental dialogue talk show all i ask is that you think LNG Technology Services, we are your industry leader in aircraft and heavy equipment repair services. In commercial business for over 15 years, LNG technicians have over 150 years of equipment-specific knowledge and are known industry-wide for returning worn-out, broken, and overused ground support equipment back to the user in working better than new conditions. For a service job done right at a value unparalleled in the industry, contact LNG Technology Services at 478 781 Four eight six zero. Again, for a service job done right, that number is 478-781-4860. LNG Technology is a Mental Dialogue Gold member and proud sponsor of the Mental Dialogue community. My name is Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. I am the owner and facilitator of the Mental Dialogue Community Support Group focused on practical solutions and the collective thinking of the black community. We do that one of two ways, every third Friday, 7 p.m. at Urban Grind, or Saturday mornings, the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Contact us at mentaldialogue.com or on Facebook at Mental Dialogue. All I ask is that you think. Continue to have you can throw as much money as you want after institutions if they have the wrong sort of governance and the wrong. Apologize for that. Welcome back to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host Montoya Smith, A.K.A. Black Soccer Team special guest co-host 
Subscribe if you will, Queen. Any thoughts on the last segment? We'll get to the caller after you. Or HBUs, HBCUs still necessary? Any thoughts, Queen? I do have some thoughts. Uh, well, one quick thought. You know, he was speaking to the idea of competition, and <laughs> for me, um, I feel like that is something that is very necessary. I have a little cousin who is going to the school I went to, um, the PWI, and uh, they have student housing that for for mothers, for young mothers, and you know, they have a daycare wow. at the school. Wow. <laughs> right. And her friend has a little two- or three-year-old. So she lives in student housing for parents, and she's able to go to school, and the daycare is affordable. So, you know, it's things like that. So that makes a difference. No, absolutely. Yeah, you got like yeah, like like Dr. Miles Richard is saying, we gotta cater to, you know, the students themselves and I think you know, that initiatives like that make a lot right. of sense. Let's get to the some of the callers before we do our closing thoughts as we're running out of time, unfortunately, for this amazing dialogue that we've had so far this morning. Area code six three zero, last three, four three five. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion. Yes, my name is uh, Dr. Phillip. Uh, I'm calling from Kansas City, Missouri. Um, just just want to touch on a, a few issues that you guys talked about. So one, the competition. Yeah, we won't so have we a lot of time, so we have to do about you have to do what, maybe one one two at the most okay. things. I got other callers too. Just so okay. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, one is um, diversity is big business, and so even though you think that the the predominantly white institutions are are catering for black, I mean, there's millions of dollars that come along with that uh, that we're not grabbing for in our uh, HBCUs. But the numbers against us are staggering. So if you look at it from a standpoint that uh, predominantly white schools, 70, they have, they have around 70%. And this is an essence statistic with Harvard around 90. And, and um, But then you look at Spelman and you look at Howard around 69%. But a majority of our African-American uh, institutions predominantly are at 34% graduation rate. And even with that said, uh, at 34%, and, and obviously we have uh, fundraising issues, but there's the prediction that they're going from 104 that we currently have down to 34 institutions. Back in the days where they had 80% enrollment, they they 80% uh, of the black population, they only have 9% of the black population. But in an up sense, if you look at what HBCUs are are producing out of that 34%, that uh, the the black lawyers, 34% of the black lawyers, 35% of black lawyers, 50% mm-hmm. of black mm-hmm. engineers. And seventy percent of black doctors. So it's mm-hmm. a good output of the, the small percentage rate. If we're having only thirty four percent graduate, like like that's staggering. That's that's not good. No, that's a strong point. And I hate to cut you off, King. We're on the last segment. I got other callers, uh, but I'll let um let me see, let's go with um Dr. Miles make a quick thought to the caller and we'll get to the next caller. Thank you for your thank you for your three cents, King. Yeah, I, I, I think he's right on. And, and what that says is if, if we can get the students there, we achieve excellence. We're going to take care of them. we, we got to mm-hmm. get them there. Yeah, it, it's really that simple. And then we got to put those structures in place to, to get them all out because when they get out, they, they, they're they at the top with no question. Uh, makes sense. I think that's a yeah, strong point. Thank, thanks again. Um, I think it was Dr. Phillips out of Missouri. Thank you for your three cents. Get to another comment. Area code seven seven zero last three 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 one. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion. Hi, my name is Melissa. I'm calling from Stone Mountain, Georgia. Oh, okay. I didn't know you were calling in from this number. I'm glad we got you on. So this is perfect segue, <laughs> as I mentioned before the break, that uh, 
um, the men in our community club, as much as we like to have these honest and forthright dialogues and we challenge, you know, try to challenge the guests, you know, to think about, hey, here's some of the issues, you know, are our HBCUs relevant? What I would like to say, um, in line with one of our pillars of the part of the community club, uh, we, we encourage um, our primary school students and parents well, to, towards, in a sense, African-centered education, whether that be, you know, private schools or telling parents to at least supplement their children's education so that they see themselves, but they're not going to these PWIs not seeing themselves because that pride that we know our HBCUs, unfortunately, I'll say this, and this is a good thing I'm about to say, but unfortunately the reality for a lot of our African-American students who are fortunate enough to go to a HBCU is there that they are first exposed to our true history because you're not going to see it if you're going through a 12-year public education. And so it, it speaks to what all of you have been speaking to, that level of pride that allows our HBCUs to compete. So with all of that said, I'm glad to have on Melissa Bigham, um, who's basically representing, from what I understand, the 12th annual HBCU Run Walk. So if you will, share um, the opportunity for our listeners um, to support some of our students getting scholarships to our HBCUs, and I'll, in a sense, back you up and say, hey, how, how our community club can be supportive as well. Go ahead, Queen. Thank you for calling. All right. Thank you for the opportunity. And I and I have to say I appreciate the dialogue that has come forth this, this morning because it has been excellent. And this is where uh, we as a community can make a difference. And we can shift the conversation more about um, the great products that come from an HBCU and how do we support them in being uh, successful for those to come. So one of the ways that we can do that is by su supporting the HBCU Alumni Alliance. Um, uh, actually, Daniel Ford, who heads up the HBCU Alumni Alliance, is a graduate of North Carolina A&T, and this is the 12th annual 5K run uh, that will take place on June 29th. So the way that you can support it is various ways. One is to actually register for the walk. If you go to hbcualumniatlanta.org and then navigate to events, and then to the 5K Run Walk, you will see options to register, volunteer, and donate and buy as a gift. So if you want to walk, just register for the walk. You can register um, at, to walk or to run. There's even registration for students. There's a student uh, registration. So if you know a student that is interested in um, attending an HBCU, what a great opportunity for them to be in the midst of an event like this. You can volunteer and you can donate. When you do that, uh, because the Middle Dialogue community is uh, partnering to help this walk be a success, be sure to search for Mental Dialogue as a team so that you can uh, uh, be a part of the Mental Dialogue team and their efforts to support uh, students to graduate from, from an HBCU. No, thank you, Melissa, for that. And so, you know, just to, you know, again, to be clear, as much as we have these honest dialogues, our goal is not to just complain and critique. That's not what we did with this show when we even asked this question, are our HBCUs still necessary? Uh, we definitely want to put uh, our money, in a sense, behind, the you know, solving these, quote, unquote, problems, if we want to call it that. So I'm definitely glad to be partnering with you. So thank you for the opportunity, Queen. Thank you for coming on and explaining it. So, again, if you'll just tell them, 
we'll just say one more time how to go to the website, and then you can, again, search for mental dialogue. Just, to, again, just be aware of, you know, since where you heard that information uh, um, from. So if you can repeat that again, and we'll get some closing thoughts from all of our guests on this morning's discussion. Go ahead, Quinn. Yes, go to hbcualumniatlanta.org, look for events, then look for 5K Run Walk. There you will see your options to register and to donate and even to volunteer if you want to volunteer as well the day of the race. Yep, and they have virtual walkers, so you don't have to be in Atlanta to support. Let me throw that out there as well. And if you will, Queens, Facebook me or inbox message with the, with the information to get to the site, and I'll put that up with the replay of the show. So thank you again, Queen, for being on with us. Absolutely. And, Montoya, if you do have an opportunity for additional callers, I would like to add a couple of things to this discussion. Yeah, we yeah we are, we up against the queen. We got to do last okay. final thoughts for everybody. Right. So all right, thank you. All right, gotcha. All, all right. right, thank you so much. All right, Dr. yep, Doctor Stewart, you've been with us the longest. So if you could give us a a, a one minute final thought on our HBCU still necessary, I appreciate you for dialoguing with us this morning. So we'll start with you, King. All right, uh, thank you, Montoya. Today has been absolutely amazing, and this, this is a very critical issue that uh, that we need to uh, continue to have a conversation about. Um, I argue with those who say that HBCUs aren't relevant. Uh, I think they're right now they're even more relevant and more necessary than ever. Uh, HBCUs are still havens for, for the disadvantaged. HBCUs are still blazing STEM trails. HBCUs, HBCUs make college affordable. HBCUs adequately staff the workforce and help graduates land jobs. And HBCUs remind us that there are still battles to be fought. Uh, despite advances uh, uh, against discrimination, it is important to remember that the fight for civil rights and equality still rages on, and it is, and it, and it, and it is extended well beyond the African-American community. So HBCUs are still relevant. Well, fair enough. Dr. Miles Richardson, thank you again for being with us, Queen. Any thoughts from you in reference to this morning's discussion? Yeah, um, closing thoughts from from my perspective is um, exposure is critical. Um, Students, young folks must see and feel the spirit of HBCUs, and that comes from alumni. Uh, So so that's on us. Um, Expectation keeps students there. That is the I am because you are and because you are I am mentality of HBCUs. So, So we have to embrace that. And then excellence is how you get out and you, you're on a successful course for your future. So we have to demand excellence and set students up for such a course. I love it. So, Scribe, thank you, Queen, for helping me navigate this conversation. As you as you know, I, I like to ensure that we have, in a sense, the male and female energy on any discussion. So, again, thank you for being with us. And if you will, any closing thoughts from you in reference to our HBCU still necessary for anybody who may have tuned in the second hour um, subscribe has started out at HBCU and ended up graduating from the PWI, so she has a, a unique experience similar to um, Dr. Miles Richardson, just for those who may have just tuned in. But any thoughts from you, Queen? Um, yes, and what I will say is graduating from the PWI, that I still have the spirit and the culture of HBCUs deep in my bones, and I definitely feel like HBCUs are necessary. Um, but how do they stay relevant? I definitely would say on three points. Uh, One is on accountability and measurements for success and putting people in positions that are held accountable. 
I would say, too, they need to have this competitive edge, not just with other HBCUs, but uh, PWIs and seeing how they are catering to the new generation, either through, you know, parent housing or daycares or things like that. I would also say bridging the gap uh, in the community through alumni and family, just making sure that the culture and the history of HBCUs is intact and that we really get it and why they need to be around and what they've done uh, for the advancement of, of black people. No, absolutely. I love everything y'all have had to say. And, and when you referenced the, um, the student housing, it, it just it reminded me of a picture I put up on the Mental Dialogue uh, Instagram page. Please go follow us there, mental underscore dialogue. But a picture of a HBCU professor literally with the baby strapped around his chest teaching the students because his student couldn't find daycare. And, and, the, and the caption was absolutely, you're not going to find that nowhere else other than an HBCU. And so, again, you're, you mentioning that made me think of that. And so, again, I definitely appreciate all of you um, for your support. I'd like to shout out my sponsors, Square Business Entertainment, as well as Money Motivation and LNG Technologies to become a sponsor of what we call here the Return of Intelligent Radio. Please Inbox me on Facebook at Mental Dialogue or Mental underscore Dialogue on IG or call me directly, 404-604-9477. Thank you all. We'll see you all next Saturday. All I ask is that you think.